Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I'm so excited about a new episode of our podcast. Today you're going to hear from Dan Casey, coach, author, husband, dad, just an incredible man of God with a powerful testimony. So I can't wait for you to hear from him. So let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Dan. Well, it's good to be here, man. I really appreciate you having me on. You bet. I like to start these out, just uh, give the listeners a little bit of more about your background, a little bit about who you are. So if you don't mind just telling us um, maybe where you grew up, a little bit about your family growing up and then your family today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I'll work, I'll work backward a little bit. I'm, you know, a high school coach in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, and how I got here was um, really growing up in a, in a large family where my, my dad was a coach. Um, I'm actually one of 12 kids. Um, so I had a whole band of uh, siblings that I was rolling around with growing up, and uh, we were kind of all over the place as a family. We we moved a lot, um, and a lot of that was um, kind of a combination of um, education and athletics and also ministry. My parents were actually missionaries in Guatemala and Belize for a little bit when I was a kid, so we were living overseas when I was young, and we moved back stateside when my mom um, realized that she, she, she wasn't, wasn't too sure about living in the jungle anymore. And, um, so we moved back stateside and my dad got involved in education was, uh, you know, different varying degrees of leadership in schools ended up being a head of a couple schools and was a basketball coach. And, um, basketball was always my, my main sport growing up. I'm from a basketball family. Um, both my immediate family and extended family have had a lot of basketball players go play in college and, um, even, even had a cousin that, played in the NBA for a bit now plays professionally over in Japan. So we were a basketball family and I grew up playing and, and really it wasn't until um, ironically enough, it wasn't until my family moved to Indiana, obviously a basketball state, we moved to Indianapolis and I was really excited about my basketball prospects there and um, had a coach that was really influential uh, my freshman and sophomore year of really, it was really my sophomore year of high school. Um, he came in and was a defensive coordinator and just really inspired me. Um, I was going to, quit the football team and just play basketball. I was kind of a, a casual football player at the time, but he really inspired me. His name is Eric Stavola. Um, and he was, you know, he, he really um, gave me a vision for what I could be as a football player. And I had never really had anybody speak life into me like that. And so when he did that, um, it really started me on a trajectory. And the reality is I didn't really even hardly play on my, on the varsity team, my, my sophomore year. Um, and then I ended up, uh, relocating to a, a whole new state, whole new city, um, Raleigh, North Carolina for my junior year and didn't even start at the beginning of my junior year, but I just had a belief that that coach had instilled in me and, uh, through some injuries, ended up kind of breaking onto the, to the field, my junior year of high school and had a, had a good little run my junior year played pretty well. And then my senior year was really when everything kind of clicked and fell into place. I hit a growth spurt and kind of everything just clicked. Um, and I just realized that that football was my my passion, even more so than basketball. Um, and that was, you know, a year we had a lot of team success, went to the state semis. I, you know, had some accolades and all that and got to ended up getting to play college football um, the year after at Davidson College, which is an FCS school just north of Charlotte, North Carolina. We're known for Steph Curry, but uh, we actually do have a, a football team. When I was there, we we struggled. We weren't we weren't very good. We, we took a lot of losses, but um, actually more recently, uh, coach Abel, Scott Abel has taken over the program and, uh, put the triple option in and they, they've got the program rolling and he's, he's a phenomenal coach and got, got a chance when I was at Davidson, even though we were struggling a little bit, got to play with one of my brothers who also came to Davidson and played alongside me. 
Um, so really just had a, had a wonderful experience, got, got to be on the field a lot. Um, and really it kind of solidified that love of the game and more so than just a passion for playing. I think I developed kind of that, uh, intellectual side of the game as well, like realizing what a chess match it was. And so I think for, for me, football became not just a passion, not something I was just interested in, but something I was kind of enveloped in at that point. And then by the end of my uh, college experience, um, got done playing and I just really wanted to keep playing professionally. And you find out really quick um, who's good, who's good enough and who's not good enough to keep playing. So I, I worked out for some teams in Canada and never made it and realized that it was, you know, it was probably the end of the road for me with football and um, but, but such a great experience. And I, and I honestly thought nothing could replace the feeling of playing. I mean, there was nothing better for me than, than being on the field. Um, and then when I, when I did eventually get into coaching, I realized that that was, that was just an incredible experience. And, um, I, I took a little detour on the way to coaching. I actually went to seminary, uh, at Duke Divinity School, um, and spent, you know, two, I guess it was three years there getting a, a master's in theological studies and thought I would be a pastor. Maybe, uh, that was another passion of mine. My faith has always kind of run alongside, uh, my passion for athletics as well. And, um, you know, the more I was discerning that call, whether I would, I would be a pastor or not, um, the more I just kept feeling that pull to, to coaching. Um, and so I had an opportunity as a 23 year old grad student to, to go over to a tiny little Episcopal school called St. David's and, uh, got to be a DB coach for, uh, the first season. And then we had a little bit of a shuffle at the top and interviewed and became the head coach at 24 years old. And, uh, been there, been there ever since and have, have gotten to take my lumps and learn a lot along the way. And, uh, just really through that experience have, I'm all in on coaching. So it's, it's been awesome. That's awesome. So I'm going to, before I get to the next question, I got to ask you about how old were you when you lived in Belize? So I was probably five years old. Yeah. Probably, what part probably of Belize? Five. So we were, um, we, we, we journeyed around a little bit. Um, I think most of the time we were when we were living there, we were actually living in Guatemala, um, but oh, we spent okay. a, a good bit of time in the in kind of the outskirts of Belize City. There's kind of some some jungle yeah. terrain out there, and so we were. I mean, we were living in huts, you know, you know, uh, stilted off the ground because of the rainy season. There would be like four foot, five foot floods coming through, and you just had to had to stay up there in your house and wait for it to pass. And um, it was an incredible experience as a kid. I thought it was the coolest thing ever, but. Uh, I realize that when you're an adult um, and you're taking care of a bunch of little kids, it's uh, it's probably a little more stressful than as a kid just running around in the rain and and uh, having fun in the jungle. I asked that because my parents um, later in life were missionaries in Belize. They lived wow. in the in Belmopan, the capital. Sure, uh, my yeah. dad went for years while he was still working full time. He would go down for a week, and then that totally. translate into sometimes two weeks at a time. And then he'd get down for a month and when he retired, they moved. Yeah. Um, and so that was my first mission trip wow. was 2009. I went down there with them. Wow. And I mean, it's gorgeous country, just beautiful. It country. is, it is. And it's, uh, yeah. we were able to take our family down a few years ago so they could kind of see, uh, we didn't do the touristy stuff. We took them right. kind of to the, where, where dad had, had been a part of mission work and they, they brought um, dental and medical and, construction teams down and partner with a couple different local churches and organizations. So, yeah. yeah so as you said, Belize, yeah. that kind of oh, gets I'm my sure. antenna. Yeah. No, it was, yeah. like I said, as a kid, I had nothing but fond memories of those, of those times. And uh, yeah, I definitely have, have some great memories. 
That's awesome. And so obviously faith, you mentioned it, um, you know, you grew up obviously a family of faith. You've already said faith is important to you, but at what point in your life though, did you realize you needed that personal relationship with Jesus and not, you know, mom and dad's faith? Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd always kind of coasted off the faith of my parents for the Mm -hmm. longest time. And I think that's probably most kids stories is they, um, you know, they, kind of take for granted some of what their parents have laid the groundwork of and whether it's faith or, or not. Um, and so for me, you know, I think um, I would have always probably told you that I believed in God and all, all of that. But I think for me, um, actually going to Davidson College and uh, really being around people that challenged me, um, when, I, when I would look at their lives, I would say, man, that's, that's someone I really look up to. Um, particularly, I had, had a really close friend of mine, Chad Harper, who um, mentored me a lot through my freshman year and, and on through the rest of my, my career there. He was, he was a year, year older than me. And, uh, I think that freshman year was really kind of, um, in some ways, like a line in the sand for me, where it was like, do I want to be about this or not? Because, you know, when you, when you're in college, you have all these different options and all these different opportunities. And I went into Davidson college very much, uh, anticipating that I would, live out my life plan. And my life plan at the time was that I was going to be a history major and I was going to go to law school and I was going to, I, I had no idea what I was going to do after that, but I was going to be important and I was going to be powerful. That's really like, that was what I was pursuing. And um, well, I, I guess really what happened first of all, is I was humbled by a history class that absolutely uh, destroyed me my freshman year. <laughs> and I realized like, maybe I, maybe I needed to take a step back and, and reflect on um uh, on some of the things that I needed to work on. And so th- that kind of kicked off this process. And there's just a lot of humbling experiences that freshman year, um, even though ma- I, I maybe was having personally having some success on the field as a freshman, I, I was failing in a lot of the other areas of my life. Um, and that was really when I needed, um, needed to take stock of, of who I wanted to be ultimately. And, and, you know, it's a cliche, but everybody says that you kind of become the aggregate of the five people you spend the most time with. And that's particularly true in, in college. And I was really fortunate to be surrounded by just an incredible group of guys at Davidson that uh, that steered me in some really great directions and, and challenged me to be better in a lot of different ways. I had a, you know, I had older brothers uh, on my team that would, you know, pull me into the library and make me study alongside them. I had older brothers on the team that would um, you know, at, ask me to go one more. Um, they were always kind of challenging me to, to be a better version of myself. And so that, that carried over into faith as well, that it, it wasn't enough just to be kind of a casual observer. It needed to, it needed to either be all in or all out for me. That's just kind of my personality. And I decided I was going to be all in. That's awesome. Yeah. I think you're right though, especially for people that grow up in the church, if you will, you know, you don't realize it until later, but you, you do ride the coattails of your parents for sure, you know, which is good. I mean, it's good to have the foundation, yeah. you know, as a parent myself, have, obviously yeah. you want that foundation for your kids. Without a doubt. I mean, to have parents that care enough that um, want you to be, you know, nurtured and protected in all those ways, I think is, is a really healthy thing. But I think for me, it, it college really expanded what my view of the church even was that it wasn't just this thing that happened once a week and we gathered together. It was uh, really kind of living life with people and uh, being vulnerable enough to, um, to ask for help. And that was a big thing for me in college of just really truly needing the help of other people and realizing that that's kind of the backbone of what the body of Christ is, is, um, is us rallying, rallying around one, one another in times of success and times of need. 
Absolutely. So I want to ask you, so you, you, you mentioned that you, you went to school to study, you know, you go be a history major, go to law school, but then you end up in seminary <laughs> in yep. ministry. So what was that shift? Yeah. I mean, the shift for me really was, you know, it, it was, it began academic. I mean, obviously there were spiritual things going on in my life and I was um, being challenged in a lot of ways, but there was also this academic component where I, I had grown up in the church and I'd grown up, um, you know, aware of the Christian faith, but I really wasn't aware of other religions. And so I had an opportunity at Davidson to be, um, to study religion, kind of world religion. So whether that's Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and I, had an opportunity to just sit with some really phenomenal professors that broadened my view of the world and, you know, gave me perspectives that I had never really experienced before. And so I ended up transferring out of the history department into the religion department and spent a good bit of time studying um, the religions of the world and, and learned a lot through it, learned a lot through philosophy. But then I think by the time I got to the end of my college experience, I realized, man, I'd spent a lot of time studying other religions academically um, but I had never really spent a ton of time studying academically my own uh, faith. Mm. And that was something that I realized that I, I wanted to make sure that I invested in that as well um, because it meant so much to me. And so having a chance to um, study at Duke, um, particularly my tradition and my, my faith background that I was committed to, um, it was just a great opportunity. And, and I've always had a, a passion for communicating with other people. So, you know, preaching and um, teaching always kind of seemed like it might be a fit for me. And I really had an opportunity as well to work for some pastors while I was in college, uh, some local pastors um, in Davidson. There was a particular pastor named Michael Flake who kind of took me under his wing and mentored me. And really just, it was, it was very similar to my, my coach, Eric Stavola in high school, where he saw something in me and encouraged mm -hmm. me to explore it. And it was the first time I, once again, I, that first time I had kind of seen the vision of um, you know, you could potentially have an opportunity to, to speak life into other people. Um, and, and I think that was, that was really where it started. And, um, you know, I don't necessarily view coaching as different than that necessarily. I, I view coaching as it's the same thing. I mean, I may not, I may not be talking about Jesus in particular, but I think that, um, the foundation of encouragement and speaking life into people, um, is at the, at the core of coaching. And so I think for me, that calling, um, it, it wasn't, you know, all that seminary training, I, I take it right to the field without a doubt. Yeah. I was sitting here as you're talking about that, thinking the very same thing, although you may not be in full-time, what we call full-time ministry, only sure. church yeah. staff per se, but yeah, being a head football coach, you're definitely in ministry. Um, and you know, maybe you don't preach a sermon, but sure. you are, sharing your faith and taught and sharing Jesus every day because you're, you're loving kids, you're serving kids. And, you know, I've been studying a lot about this lately, especially start, you know, the week of Easter is, you know, Jesus's final in instructions and example was washing the disciples feet. And he goes Absolutely. on to tell them in John 13, you know, love others as I have loved you. And I think yep. that's exactly what you're talking about. And that's what coaching is, right? Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. I mean, obviously you want to win games. But, of course. Yeah. But, no, but I mean, yeah. you, you get the most out of people when they feel connected. I, I've always exactly. said that, you know, the most competitive teams are often the most connected teams and, you know, a, a way to connection is, is obviously vulnerability. And that's something as, you know, as men, we don't really like to, to discuss a whole lot, but the teams that I've coached that have been the most successful are the ones that are most willing to 
um, to be connected and to, to lean on each other when they need help. And, you know, I think as a coach, so much of our work, we, you know, we talk about X's and O's, we talk about strategy, we talk about culture, but how much of our work is, and we may not explicitly call it this, but how much of our work is, is being a counselor or pastoral in nature mm -hmm. where, you know, we have a kid who um, is our star player, but he's off that day because, oh, we didn't even realize that like he, he had a best friend that was shot. I mean, like I've had these experiences where I'm talking to, to athletes on my team that are dealing with stuff far beyond I could have even imagined that are way more important than um, them being able to, you know, run a slant. And obviously like it affects their ability to run a slant, but if you're not willing to drill down on some of the life issues that are going on, um, you know, I, th I, I think part of the reason I like football so much is because it really, uh, it really strips us bare of all of our walls. I mean, if you have to sacrifice everything for your team, um, you know, I've never seen a, an environment with more emotion than a football locker room. Uh, I mean, you're giving everything you have for other people. So I think it's, it's incredibly sacrificial in nature. And we've seen some just great breakthrough moments where, where guys are willing to rally around someone that's, that's really hurting at the time. And I think, you know, football is, is just a really unique environment. And uh, I, I do view a lot of that work, um, those side conversations at the end of practice as, you know, pseudo counseling or, you know, pastoral work where you're trying to help people. Yeah. So you're named head football coach at 24 and you just talked about just now the importance of culture, uh, being a connected team, what is it like being a head football coach at age 24 <laughs> and, you know, and your staff is probably all older than you. For sure. And so yeah. you're trying to get them to buy into to this young 24 year old kid who's got this his ideas for culture. So what type of culture yeah. did you come in trying to build? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think the 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 phrase that I think of a lot is, uh, you know, when we're learning something, it's, it's more often caught than taught. Mm -hmm. Um, like people, they're observing the way that you interact with people more than they are like your, your explicit words. And so one of the things that I, I just tried to model as much as I could was, um, this whole idea that, that at the end of the day, that the best idea wins, no matter where it comes from, kind of, I, I know that, um, Ray Dalio and some others have talked about this idea as like the idea meritocracy. So the, that whatever the best idea and wherever it comes from is, is the one we're going to implement. And so I think like trying to model that, uh, I guess you could call it humility in a sense, but really it's just, you know, the desire to win is the driver of that. And so whether that idea came from an assistant coach or a player, we just had very open lines of communication. And, and I tried to always say, um, as much as I could, you know, guys, I'm, I'm still learning along, along with you. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not, especially at 24 years old, I'm not in a position where I can say, I, you know, I've got 20 years of experience. I've done this, that, right. and the other, all these places. I didn't have any of that. I had my playing experience and one year of coaching, uh, a DB's coach. And, you know, really what I had to fall back on was um, a, a commitment to continue learning. Like that was, that was what I had to fall back on. And so, um, you know, I always tell, especially young coaches, this, I would say, you have no idea um, the power that these words carry. These words are, it's so simple. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? Mm. Like how powerful is that? Like you can quell almost any issue you have on your team. If you're willing, and if you, if you've genuinely been the one that's made the mistake of being willing to say those words and, 
um, I leaned on those words a lot in the first year um, because there was a bunch of times where I, I messed something up and uh, just being able to admit that. I think, um, I, I think, you know, coaching is not dissimilar from any other profession where we feel this immense pressure to hide our mistakes instead of highlight our mistakes. And I think, you know, one of the things we tried to do as a staff early on was say, um, we're going to make a lot of mistakes and we're going to be really honest about them. And we're also going to ask for that same accountability from our athletes, that if you guys mm -hmm. make a mistake, you're not trying to hide, you're not trying to, you know, we don't, we don't want perfection. We want progress. And so that was something that we, um, we tried to model more than anything. I think a lot of coaches will talk about it. Um, and we always said, you know, don't talk about it, be about it. Um, and that ultimately falls to, to me and to our staff. And, um, you know, I can't say I did it perfectly for, by any means, but I think that was the, the, the commitment to learning and the best idea wins and the ability to say, I'm sorry. Um, those were kind of foundational elements for us, for sure. That's good stuff. I'm sitting here thinking you're right. That's it's perfect for a coach that's listening that may be struggling with culture, right? Yeah. Is, you know, you, a lot of things you just said, you know, don't talk about it, be about it. The, the powerful words of I was wrong. Um, so that's, that's mm -hmm. good advice for, but also for uh, dads, husbands. Um, oh, absolutely. Business folks. I mean, you, you just described a lot, a lot about life there. Um, and speaking of, of family, so tell us a little bit about your family today. And then how do you balance? And, I, and the word balance can be a little <laughs> tricky, but how do you balance, you know, ministry, coaching, husband, dad? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a great question. It's something I'm really passionate about. Um, and, and I'll kind of get to the the idea of balance and, and efficiency and all those things in a second. But a little bit of background on my family. Uh, have a beautiful wife, Grace, who um, she is a, a business owner and a mom. And, you know, she's the most impressive person I've, I've ever met. And um, we 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 met and we were engaged um, in like less than four months. And part of the reason I, I don't say that to encourage anyone to go out and ask somebody to marry them after four months of knowing them. But, uh, you know, the, I think part of the reason our relationship uh, progressed so quickly and was formed so strongly was because right in the middle of our dating period, Grace was actually going through multiple brain surgeries for a brain tumor that she has. Um, and so, you know, one of the first conversations we had, she basically said, uh, you know, I don't date casually. I'm, you know, I'm going through a lot right now. So if you're serious, I'm willing to give this a shot. But if you're not like, if you're just kind of here to hang out and kind of get a feel for things, like I'm not interested. Um, and so, you know, we, we kind of established a relationship based on, you know, when you, when you say your vows, you say in sickness and in health, and we really started mm -hmm. off in sickness. Um, and so, you know, that was something that, that we've, kind of always carried with us that we went through some really hard things at the beginning of our marriage. Uh, and so I think that has laid the foundation for, uh, for a really healthy marriage. Oddly enough is that we, we went through some really hard stuff early on and knew that we could trust each other um, and mm. knew that we could rely on each other and that we weren't going anywhere. Um, and so that was, I think that was really important early on. And, you know, because of her brain tumor and because of, she actually has, hydrocephalus, which is uh, essentially where your brain overproduces cerebrospinal fluid. And so it's just a very delicate situation where she has to have shunts that drain her brain. And, you know, it's, it's a very, it's, you know, it just, it's very delicate. And so with that, obviously, um, you know, pregnancy changes your body's 
chemicals and composition quite a bit. And so really her, her team of neurosurgeons just advised her, um, you know, it's really not wise to, to get pregnant or, or go through any of that until maybe years and years down the road when we feel more comfortable that everything's going to calm down. Um, and so we, you know, I think that was, that was hard news for us. Um, you know, as I know that there's a lot of folks out there that are dealing with issues of infertility. And while we weren't necessarily officially dealing with infertility, we were dealing with this diagnosis of, you know, don't have kids essentially. Um, yeah, it's not was, that you can't, you're told don't even try. Yeah. We're told, yeah, yeah. we're told don't even try. And so, you know, it's, it's discouraging and, and difficult and, um, you know, something we prayed about a lot, um, over the years when we were first married. And, and, you know, one of the things that she, uh, felt really strongly about was that, we, that she wanted to adopt, um, and wanted mm. to start our family through adoption. And to be honest with you, and when I tell the story, you know, to be honest, I didn't want to, because I felt like if we, you know, if we essentially gave in and adopted and, and said, we were going to start our family that way, is that us losing faith and saying, you know, maybe God's not going to heal her. Maybe she's never going to get better or, you know, all these things. And so I kind of had a hang up of, you know, I just really want everything to be made whole and everything to be made right. And uh, I think I really struggled with that early on, but I actually took a, a trip. Uh, I was actually coaching football over in China um, for a bit. And we decided to take that time apart to really pray through what our family would look like. And when I was in China, I was with a, a team chaplain and he was just kind of walking me through some scripture and I really felt very strongly when I was over in China that that was kind of the call in our life was was to adopt. And I came back from that trip, you know, all in gung ho, ready to ready to do it. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, God really changed my heart and just said, you know, trust me, keep keep walking. And, you know, the way will be made clear like you mm. you're not going to understand it all right now, but but it, you, you will. And so we you know, we knew nothing about adoption. We, we kind of just jumped in with both feet and uh, we ended up signing with an agency and in within the first day we matched with a, a perspective, uh, well, with, with a birth mother who was expecting a child. Um, and so five months later, our son Zion was born. So we went from no kids to one kid in five months. And uh, it was, it was wild and crazy. He was born in Dallas, Texas. So we flew down, down there and, and we, we brought him home and he was just the, the greatest joy ever for our life. And, um, you know, things were going great. We were um, actually, you know, we were loving life as a family. And then the pandemic set in um, and we're sitting at home in Raleigh and we get a phone call that Zion's birth mother is expecting another child and uh, was wondering if we would be interested in, in adopting. Um, and so on six days notice, our daughter Ada was born and uh, we went and picked her up on, it was, a, it was uh, Good Friday. She was born on Good Friday, 2020, and we brought her home on Easter Sunday. And uh, she's a little, little miracle. And and they're actually less than a year apart, so they're they're really close in age. Full full biological siblings, just wonderful little beautiful kids. And uh, you know, we are just so fortunate to have have them in our lives. And um, our our family just really feels full and complete. And you know, I, we may have more kids. I, I don't know the answer to that or not, but. Uh, you know, right now we're just, we're just really fortunate to have, have them. And, and we just feel really passionate about adoption. I think it's a, I think it's a topic that a lot of people just aren't as familiar with and, and don't always consider. Um, but it is just such a gift. And, you know, I think some people say, you know, we've even had people ask us at times, like, do you feel like your children, you know, do you feel like you'd be maybe more connected with them if they were your biological kids? 
And I can honestly say like, there's such a, there's such a spiritual connection that comes with adoption. And I know I'm, you know, obviously I come from a faith perspective, so I, I really do feel that, but um, you know, I, I think we've felt just incredibly connected to our kids and we've invested, you know, so much in, in them. And we want, we just want them to experience all, all the love of uh, that we, that we can, we can give. And so we have, yeah, we have two kids and they're actually celebrating birthdays this week. We call it birthday week because uh, they're, they're less than a year apart. And so for about six days of the year, they're both one year old. So Ada just turned one and Zion's about to, about to turn two. So that's awesome. Uh, we're, we're loving life. Uh, it's, it's been awesome. Wow. Okay. So for those that are listening, it's not often that I'm at a loss for words, but that story is just so moving because you know, I'm just picturing being told by a doctor. Well, first of all, I'm picturing as a, as a young man choosing to date somebody that, you know, you know, you're starting out, like you said that, yeah. you know, in sickness and in health, that's just a, a powerful story. And then it's just, you know, just during COVID and, you know, the, the beautiful, you know, bringing Ada home on Easter. What a, what a beautiful picture of <laughs> really was. Of life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, absolutely. and, you know, that's, wow, that's incredible. So, how do you make it through the season um, with a, a family of young kids? I mean, how, how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's challenging. I think I'm I am really fortunate to be in a place where I'm I'm a head football coach and I can be, um, you know, I can set the schedule, um, and mm. so I can really make a schedule that's conducive to uh, my family and the family of my assistant coaches and and even you know the athletes and you know so we've just some something that I've really become passionate about as a coach is, um, you know, if you follow me on, on social media, you know, I'm pretty obsessed with football and, uh, I, I love it. I mean, I, it's truly, you know, I just think it's the best, but I also think there's just so much more to life than football. And so mm. I want to be, you know, ruthlessly efficient in the way that we execute what we're doing from a football perspective so that we can experience the rest of life. And, you know, I've, I've been around some, some really great coaches that have modeled that well for me, that they've, um, that they've been really serious about football when they clock in and they're able to be dad when they clock out, um, or able to be a husband when they clock out. And I, and I just think that's a really important skill to develop. And so we've just, you know, really set, um, hard guidelines around, you know, when we're working and when we're, when we're off and, um, you know, it's, it's always hard to stick to those because you always want to do a little bit more. But I think um, when you realize, you know, how important your family is and how much how important quality time is, especially with it, you know, with adopted kids, um, you know, I, th I think that was something that was really important to me that I wanted to make sure that I was there. You know, I didn't. Mm -hmm. The last thing I wanted was for uh, my kids to already be dealing with some of the conflict that's naturally going to arise right. with adoption and then say, Oh, and also dad was never home when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't, it's, it's gotta be a lot of confusion happening for, for a kid. And so, you know, I, I think just me and my wife have been really intentional about the decisions we've made um, to make sure that we can be as available to our kids as possible. And uh, it's hard during the season. Like it's, I can't, I can't deny that, but I think whether it's, you know, sneaking home for a lunch or doing different things where I'm able to, to catch them in little moments throughout the day, or, um, you know, just, just trying to find, find ways um, to be available to them. And, and one of the pieces of advice that I always 
give, especially young fathers who kind of ask me, you know, Hey coach, I just had a baby. I'm, you know, really busy as a coach. And I always, I always tell them, I say, you know, you can come home and be around your kids for three hours and be on your phone and be talking to other people and be watching TV and all that. Or you can be home for an hour and you're actually down on the floor playing with your kids, like really engaged. They're going to feel more connected to you in that hour than if you're just around the house for three hours, like working right. on side projects. And so that's something I try to, I try to be intentional about as much as I can. I'm, I'm again, I'm not perfect with it, but it's the same idea with football. Like when I'm in the office and we're working on game plans, I'm all in on that. And then when I'm at home, I try to be as, as all in as I can be with, with my kids and my wife. And again, it's something I I'm consistently working on, but I think right. just that intentionality really matters. I don't think it's just, just about, you know, counting off the, the, the hours in the day, as much as, you know, you know, where's my energy going? Uh, is my energy going into accomplishing this football thing? And then is my energy going into my kids or is it spread out all over the place? And I'm, you know, I may be blocking my time, but not really focusing my energy. Ruthlessly efficient is what I wrote down. (laughs) Absolutely. You gotta be, you gotta be, if you're not, if you're not willing to, um, be, uh, be a serious accountant of your time, um, you're just going to miss a lot in life. And, and I, you know, I, I believe that I, I learned a lot through the process of, you know, I, I think of myself a little bit as a writer and, you know, writing is obviously like can be an arduous task, but I learned a lot through writing that, um, you know, you have to, you have to be really efficient with your time that, um, uh, you know, in order to, to get words on the page, you have to come with a certain level of focus and, uh, you know, I think that's true of coaching. I think that's true of being a parent. I think that's true of being just about anything, but it's the intention that you come with. And, uh, when, yeah, I mean, ruthless efficiency, you know, if you only have 30 minutes to work out, you better make them good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that applies to all areas of life, right? That's what I'm sitting here processing. Um, so ruthlessly efficient. Practice, the longest we practice the, the whole year, the longest practice we'll ever have is 90 minutes. Wow. The longest practice. And do we sacrifice some in that? Yes, but we gain a lot of intention and focus from high school kids that get really spacey by the third hour of practice. Yeah. You lose yeah. kids by the third hour of practice. And if they know the if they know it's 90 minutes, you're gonna get 90 minutes. Yeah, you're gonna get 90 minutes. And I'd you know, sometimes I wish there was a little bit more we could get to, but I would always, you know, we're always talking about trimming the fat and how can we, how can we get rid of more and more and more, whether it's our playbook, whether it's our, you know, the, you know, some of the periods in practice, do we need that? And, and we, you know, this is kind of getting in the weeds a little bit for the coaching coaches perspective, but we basically run everything we do in our program through the why test. We call it the why test. You have to ask why three times. And if something can survive the question, why three times it can stay. If it can't survive three whys, then we get rid of it. Um, because there has to be like some serious thought behind what we're doing. Um, and so again, you know, I think there's coaches will always tell you there's a million ways to, to get the job done. And, um, we just have come to believe that, that the efficiency side of things, um, is, is best for us and best for the kids. I mean, we've had kids come out and play that we're going to, we're going to take seriously their time and make sure we make the most of it. And, uh, we always promise to do that. That's good. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, you, you put it in the context of coaching, but that's just husband, dad, whatever profession that ruthlessly efficient, the Y test, trimming the fat there. I mean, that that just applies to all areas, especially as men. 
no doubt. Yeah, just just no feel doubt. like we're naturally scatterbrained and trying Without to do do too much. So I yeah. want to close it out with 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 two two questions. The first one, um, you know, people a lot of people have a life verse, you know, a favorite scripture that means a lot to you. But and if you do, I'd love you to share it. But also, you know, maybe in the last year or two, you know, walking through y'all's adoption journey, is there a a scripture that God just really showed you that, that, that you would share and encourage us with? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think in every season of life, um, you know, you come across passages, passages of scripture that kind of speak to you in unique ways for the circumstances you're in. And, you know, I've always heard pastor friends of mine talk about, um, the living, breathing word of God, that it really is, you know, it, it is alive and active in our world today. If we're, if we open our eyes and we're willing to see it through that lens and, um, you know, for me throughout my life, my, my life verse has, has definitely been, you know, Romans 12, it talks about not transform or not conforming to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by the mm-hmm. renewing of our minds. And that's something that, I, you know, that, that whole mentality of like, constant learning and growth like that's that's something that i think really tra- has its origins in scripture of of really always seeking to be transformed and that we we don't reach a finish line in life um and so and so really thinking about ways that you know that that god's word can transform me to be uh you know what my family needs and what what the world around me needs as much as possible but you know when you talk more specifically about covid and some of the dif- difficulties and um, adoption and, and some of the things like that. I don't remember the exact reference. I believe it's Psalm 80. It talks, it's, it's just a, a, it's a small phrase at the beginning of a verse. It might be verse nine that it just says you cleared the ground for it. Um, and it's just this idea that, that God's kind of going before us and, and clearing the ground for, for certain things in our life. And we don't necessarily know what that means. I think a lot of times we take the feel good view of scripture that it's, you know, God's going to clear the way for all the things that we want. But, you know, for me, I didn't, I didn't expect to have a second daughter. I didn't expect to, you know, go through the year we just went through, but, but really when you, when you look back and you, and you see it through those eyes of faith, you see the ways that God cleared the ground for, for our family in so many ways. And, uh, you know, especially with, with our kids, I think we see that more than anything. And, so that's, that's been meaningful. We've, we've talked a lot about, you know, just being on the lookout for the ways that God has cleared the ground for, for really important things in our lives and, and planted seeds and um, done all these things that, that don't really show up until you get to reflect a little bit. And so I think we've, we've had a chance to reflect in COVID and um, as hard as life has been, we also have seen these, uh, these glimmers of, of hope and joy along the way as well. That's awesome. I love the context you added there too, because you're right. A lot of times we read a verse like that and, and we think it as he's clearing the ground for all the many blessings of all the things I want. Right. Right. Um, but I love the context that you gave. It's, it's, it's not that prosperity. Right. Exactly. Life. It's, exactly. you know, like in your case, you know, the, the, the adoption, you know, right. through COVID, you know, here you are, you didn't know you're going through the start in the COVID period. You're, you know, you're gonna have a daughter. Yeah. You know, well, and, so. and I got to, I got to, uh, you know, be there for the first months of her life and, and yeah. hold her for hours and hours every day where normally I'm in the office and I'm busy. And, uh, you know, even though COVID was, was challenging in so many ways, I think, you know, for my, my family in particular, we have these really special moments of me getting to, to hold my newborn daughter um, at the beginning of her life because I was working from home. And, uh, that's something I'm really grateful for. 
even though I didn't get yeah. to be on the field as much as I wanted to be and didn't get to be around my team, I, I got to have some really special moments with my daughter. So I think just That's moments, you know, there's never, always these I mean, trade-offs, there's always yeah. these trade-offs, but, but you see the good in it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So the last question, there's two words all over sports and you've said it a, a few times all in, yep. um, but I, I want to ask from a, you know, you talked about ruthlessly efficient. Um, so from a practical sense, Dan, on a daily basis with your faith, yeah. What does it look like to be all in when, in your faith practically? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great question. I think uh, I think for me, the thing that has become most clear to me, especially as someone who moved around a lot as a kid, is that to be all in all in in your faith, um, it's not anything you can do alone. Um, mm. I think it's just constantly um, being aware of the community that that God has placed you in. And for us, it's you know, even through COVID, even though we weren't able to, to worship in person at our church, we had a community group that we kind of became a quarantine bubble and we, we did life together. And, you know, that there was something really unique about that experience of adopting a baby on six days notice is you don't have anything. You don't have diapers. You don't have car seats. You don't have any of the things you need. And we had people in our community group at church that, you know, dropped everything off on our porch. We didn't even see them, but just dropped everything we wow. needed off on our porch when we brought our daughter home from the, the hospital. And when you, when you see that, you know, I think that's why, you know, a lot of people can get cynical about, you know, the church or, or Christianity or different things like that. And if it's just a place you go on Sunday, then I can understand that cynicism. But if it's, if it's a community of people that you're involved with and like, you know, involved with them in their lives and you're looking for ways to meet their needs, um, it's hard to get cynical about that because it's so tangible. And so, you know, from a practical standpoint, I think, a lot of people make their faith very personal to them. And, you know, I'm going to read the Bible this much and I'm going to, you know, journal or do different things. And those are all great practices, but if they're not reflected to others, I think, you know, you can, you're, you're missing out. I just, I just really, I strongly feel that. And so, you know, for me, from a practical standpoint, it's always just trying to find ways that I'm, I'm connecting with the community that God has placed me in, in this given season and um, looking for ways to meet their needs, but also being vulnerable enough to ask for help when I need it. Cause that's, that's where true depth of relationship is achieved. I think. That's awesome. I, I, you know, I love to ask that question because you get a bunch of different, really good answers. Oh, absolutely. um, Yeah. I love your perspective on it's more than your daily walk personally. It is that community that you community of faith is, is vital. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no way you could do it alone. And, um, so yes, yeah, so that's that's a huge encouragement. I, I know to 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 me and, and many others to, you know, even when when you feel like there's so much other stuff going on, to stay connected. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's good, and you know, and like you said, be vulnerable. Yeah, it's hard to do. You know? Hard to yeah. hard to ask for help in this world for sure. We we think we we think we can handle a lot more than we can handle, and I think the the sooner we realize that we can't. And, and we kind of surrender to that and trust God, but also trust each other. Um, that's when I think we, we achieve more than we thought we could on our own because we just, we need other people. We need other people. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Hey, I appreciate it. It's been Absolutely. good. It's been good. Thanks it's so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to the All In Sports Outreach Podcast. We hope you've been encouraged. We'd ask you if there's a family member or a friend that could use some encouragement that you would forward this to them. 
Also, we'd ask you, if you're not a current subscriber to our podcast, that you would consider subscribing today. Whatever platform you're using right now to listen to this, we'd ask you just to click the subscribe button. There's many episodes prior to this one that will encourage you, and I'm excited about the stories to come. We love to hear from you. Visit our website at www.allinsportsoutreach.org or Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the search bar. Just type in All In Sports Outreach. Find out who we are, why we do what we do, opportunities to pray, to serve, and to give. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for your support and most of all for your continued prayers.